Okay, here we go. Fabulous listeners, thanks for tuning in to All Bodies Outside. This is your host, Brian Peterson. Today, I'm extremely excited for our guest connecting from Australia, Kath Wallace. She is an ultra-endurance athlete with vast accomplishments, which include completing nine ultra-marathons, walking across a frozen lake for 100 miles in northern Mongolia. She took part in grueling desert races in Australia, Oman, and Namibia. Swimming from Europe to Asia, swimming from Sweden to Finland, cage diving with great white sharks, and this year she has a big adventure goal of kayaking the length of the Exuma Island chain in the Bahamas, which is about 95 miles of sea kayaking. Additionally, she is a loving mother of three and an activist helping with breaking down social barriers at endurance events. Her mission is to encourage people who may never imagine they could do something extraordinary to take those first steps and overcome the fear. Kath reminds people to live life big in the body that they have. The following is a quote from Kath. People in non-athletic bodies are not encouraged to think big around physical goals. Instead, we are told the only goal should be making our bodies smaller, more muscular, better. But what if what mattered was what our bodies could do? And another quote from Kath is, stop listening to what society or other people around tells you about what you should or shouldn't be doing. You need to find what your passion is, whatever that might be, chase your goal, make a plan, and do it now. To help with their mission, Kath is an accredited running coach who trains, trains those who would not consider themselves traditional athletes. You can check out more about her coaching at findyouradventure.online. Furthermore, Kath is featured in a documentary titled Normal People Would Drive, which showcases a team of middle-aged women who have never considered themselves athletes as they head to the remote Australian outback to test their physical and mental limits in a desert ultramarathon. Because Kath has found training and completing ultramarathons to be life-changing and is a proud advocate for back-of-the-pack athletes, she sets out to share this transformative experience by recruiting a team of unlikely adventurers from around Australia to train and complete the Simpson Desert Ultra. 18 women join the team united by their desire to challenge their own belief that they are not athletes. Be sure to check out Normal People Would Drive. Kath, I'm so honored you're here. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, that introduction, you, you've been up to a lot. <laughs> I, I have, and I think um, sometimes I forget all the things that I've done, and, and to hear it in a big, long list like that is, um, it it's really really reminds me how far I've come in sort of this uh, this journey of uh, trying to be a more adventurous person. Yeah, it's definitely worth a pat on the back for sure. And uh, There's nothing like a little bit of self-pride too. I mean, I definitely feel it when I finish an ultra marathon. And so when, when did you start getting into all these endurance events? What year was that? So it was at the end of uh, 2015. Uh, and at that stage, I really didn't do anything 
uh, in the sort of adventure space at all. In fact, I'd spent um, about 20 years of my life focused on career, study, work, you know, trying to, to make enough money to, to, to have things for the family. I have, I have three children um, and focused on them and their activities. Uh, and then suddenly I decided that it was time to really sort of focus on on me and that I didn't really have anything that was my passion and I hadn't really thought about what I enjoyed doing for for such a long time um, and so uh, I, I picked the first adventure and uh, and I, uh, I I never go small I, it has to, it has to be said I, I think if you're going to pick an adventure then it's worthwhile picking something that really sort of lights that fire in you and makes you feel um, the passion, the enjoyment, the the accomplishment when you finish it. So the very first thing I picked was actually a 100 kilometer, which I think is about 60 miles or so, um, walking event. Um, it was a trail a trail running event, but with a really generous cutoff time. So they they were welcoming of of walkers, um, and I signed up for that with uh, with four months uh, time to do the preparation. And at that stage, the furthest I walked was about three to four miles around my local lake. Um, and I put together a plan and um, and thought, well, I'll give it a go. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? I, I don't finish. Uh, you know, it's not, uh, it's not life-changing. It's not endangering. It's not any of those things. I mean, it's not, um, it's not even that embarrassing to, to not finish. So, so why not give it a go and, and try? Um, and so I set out and did that event and I finished eight minutes before the cutoff time. Even though it was a generous cutoff time, I was out on the course for 27 hours and 52 minutes. Um, I was the actually the second last person in um, on the event, uh, and I told myself that I would never do anything that stupid ever again in my life. Um, <laughs> and that lasted about three months, and then I went, "Wow, look what I've just done! And what else could I do if I can do that?" Um, what, what are the other options? What is out there? And I started sort of crazily researching on the internet and developing, you know, wish lists of amazing adventures. Um, and, and it all sort of started from there and perhaps spiralled from there, depending on how you look at it, uh, to this list of things that I've done now. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you, you're, you're, your passion set in about three months later and you had that initial reaction after finishing. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because when I finished, I was exhausted. Every part of my body hurt. My my feet were all blistered. Um, I remember I, I got in to have a bath and I couldn't get out of the bath. I had to get someone to come and help me. Mm. <laughs> um, so, so I really did feel terrible at that particular moment. And it really wasn't until a little bit afterwards that it, that it sort of set in. Um, and it was funny because people had told me that they'd said, "Oh yeah, you're saying that now, but just wait, just wait, and, and I'm sure you'll be signing up for something else." Um, and they were so right um, because apart from the the sort of the pain and the difficulty of finishing the event, um, I, I actually had a magnificent time. I mean, the the hours that I spent wandering through these trails, um, you know, even at, at night. Um, and just seeing nature and the trees and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I live in Australia, so it's, you know, kangaroos and wallabies and things um, on the path. Um, it, it's just such a different experience to my normal life and my my life as a mum and my life as my desk job. Um, it, it really uh, sort of started my, my passion for really wide open natural spaces, um, which is where I tend to focus the things that I choose. 
Yeah, and I know you, you've become super fun with some desert races, but it, 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 I'm so impressed with how much you've done since 2015. Uh, it, it's really impressive. And, you know, you just mentioned the nighttime during that first 100-kilometer race. During a race, what is your favorite part of the race? Do you love nighttime? Do you love, you know, the daytime, the finishing, the starting? What is it that you love the most during a race? Oh, look, in a, um, it, it's those moments when – and it happens to me a lot because I'm a backup packer. So, uh, so I tend to, uh, to, to have some hours on the course when I see barely anybody, except if I'm going through a checkpoint. Um, it's those moments when you come around a corner and there's a, a spectacular view, whether it be the desert or the forest or the view down from a mountain into a valley um, or the, the frozen ice lake in Mongolia. And you just take this breath and think, wow, the world is actually just the most magnificent place. And I am so, so lucky and so grateful to be here um, and to have the opportunity to be in these spaces. And that's really the, the, the core feeling that I like. Um, in terms of the time of day, that dawn, dawn's my favourite. You know, when the mm. sun's rising and particularly in desert events, you get this gorgeous orange, red glow that comes off the sand um as as the the night disappears um and it's something that you know is so different from from city life and and normal life um so it's it's really those 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 moments that i really sort of cherish on these events yeah that's wonderful that's wonderful um so kind of getting into when you started these events um and you're, you're getting going with them what types of stereotypes were you kind of seeing there at these events um, well, I think that the main thing is that nobody really looked like me at, at these events. Um, I mean, for, for your audience, I am, uh, you know, as you've, as you've described, I'm a, a middle-aged woman, but I, I weigh about 240 pounds. So I'm not your typical, uh, participant, uh, in a trail, uh, in a trail event. Um, and, and when I first started turning up to events, oh, and in fact, even now, um, you know, I turn up and I'm waiting at the registration desk to pick up my, my race bib and people are directing me over to the, the three-mile course saying, oh, no, that, mm. the, the three-mile line's over there. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing the three-mile. I'm doing the, I'm doing the 60 miles. Um, so I think there's still an assumption that um, your body size is a directly related somehow to your ability to do an endurance event um, when it absolutely is not. Um, so, so that's probably one of the, the stereotypes. I mean, I, I even had one, one event where I was wearing my, my race bib for the, like the 100 kilometer event. Um, and someone said to me, oh, they've given you the wrong bib. You know, oh my gosh. you've got the wrong one. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I've got the right one. Um, so, so it's that kind of that kind of stereotypes. But I do find, and one of the reasons I really enjoy trail, um, is because I find the trail community to be exceptionally welcoming and inclusive. Um, and I find that trail is a sport where everybody is competing against themselves um, and their own abilities. And, that, you know, there's no such thing as a standard course. You know, it's not like doing track athletics or something. Um, so um, everybody is very supportive. And, and when I'm doing doing my events and you often, you know, there might be some kind of out and back part of the loop or the hundred miler people are coming back through the course um, or past me, is that nearly every person says hello, says, well done, keep going. And we all cheer each other on, whether you're at the front or whether you're at the back. Um, and that's, that's a really great thing. Yeah. It sounds like such a wonderful community. And I feel like 
through everything that I read preparing for our conversation today, uh, you're, you're so smiley and full of gratitude. Is that, how did you foster that? How did that, where'd that come from? I mean, you're just seem just exhilarated everywhere you're out there. And I'm sure those pictures are taken deep into the race. There's a lot of pain going on at the time. Yeah. Uh, where do you think that like, you're just so great with gratitude. It seems like. Look, I think, um, endurance events are at least 50% mental in my, in my opinion. So yes, you do, you do the training and you get your body physically as ready as you possibly can to do the event, but you also have to train your mind and you have to get through those tough moments when you think that you can't do things. Um, and for me, the way I get through those moments is with gratitude because mm. the reality is that there's lots of people who don't have the opportunities to go out and do these events to be on the course um, for various reasons, financial um, opportunities, responsibilities. Um, and so for me, when I'm having a tough moment, um, thinking about all the things that I'm grateful for and how lucky I am to be doing this magnificent sport and this magnificent event is the thing that gets me across the line. Um, I also have to say, you know, and I think most people who do trail events uh, would know this, is that it doesn't matter how much pain you're feeling. If you see a photographer, um, there is to be a smile. <laughs> and you always try and make it look easy when you see the photographer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it seems like uh, every picture you're, you've been taking that I saw and preparing for this, you had a big smile on your face. Well, I think with the, the gratitude aspect too, um, it seems like there's a connection to that with some self-kindness as well. Um, and you know, you're trucking along doing these races. Um, you might need to take a, a second to you know, just, you know, let, let's, let's take a second to look around, you know, maybe things aren't going super well at the moment. Things turn around a lot though, in these ultra events, you know, there's, there's moments of downtime where you're just like, oh my gosh, this is really hard. And there's moments of elation. Um, but do you think there's some sort of, um, connection towards the way that you foster gratitude to help you get through these races with also just self-kindness, um, with yourself? Um, definitely. Yes. Um, and I, I have been a person that's um, suffered from uh, anxiety and anxiety disorder for um, many years. Um, and I think that uh, this, the self-critic part of anxiety is, is really strong. Um, and I think that one of the side effects of taking part in, in these kind of adventures and fostering this, this concept of, of gratitude um, is that, that concept of of being kind to yourself and of realizing that, you know, these are things that you can get through. And then that spills over from the event itself into all aspects of your life um, and in day-to-day -day life. And I think that for me, um, part of the adventurous activities I do is, um, it, it is a way in which to manage my anxiety. Um, and it's a way in which to improve my overall quality of life beyond the event itself. Yeah, I think it's it's really important to be able to manage that that critical inner voice too. Like I know with me, I come from a background of running as well, and I remember when I was running as a youth, um, I would have a critical inner voice that was purely negative, um, like "Hey, like run faster, run faster." And um, with being youthful and being naive, like I had horrible management of that critical voice. But I think that that managing that critical voice is really important, especially over a long race like that. You know, like things can go wrong at at the 10th kilometer, at the 20th kilometer, when doing a hundred kilometer race, but things can also turn around too. Um, and, but I think that for things to turn around that mental component that you talked about, you know, 50% mental and, you know, managing that critical voice is really, really important. Um, you also brought up anxiety and I wanted to ask about, you know, what's the anxiety level like with, uh, 
showing up to a race, people focusing on your body type, like, Hey, you're wearing the wrong bib type of thing. Like, does that cause some anxiety for you? And if so, how do you manage that? So I'm probably, um, I'm probably pretty lucky because I, I am, am pretty much immune to, to what other people think about, about me. Um, and those kind of things for me, the anxiety is more, um, around, you know, have I prepared enough? And I, and I always go into this thinking of, you know, did, did I do enough training? Am I okay? Am I, um, it, it sort of always morphs into this, am I worthy to be at the start line of, of this event? Uh, and, and I tend to look around and think everybody else looks so much more prepared than me. Um, and it's funny actually, because I do quite a few multi-day events, which are, you know, normally uh, seven-day events where you do about a marathon distance a day um, and you camp at night. So over the course of the week, you get to know all the other competitors. And uh, it's one of the things that we've discussed later in the event is, you know, you get to about day four and then you all say to each other, you know, we were all looking around and every single person was saying the same thing, which is everybody else knows what they're doing except me. And the reality is everybody's nervous. Everybody has that anxiety before they do the event. And I think the important bit is not letting um, it's not letting my life be taken over by by anxiety, not letting the anxiety win. You know, if there's right. something that I'm really passionate about and I want to do, then I need to find a way to get through that um, and to get started. And I always find that, you know, that first kilometre or two, I think, what on earth am I doing? Why did I think this was a good idea? Um, and then by 10 kilometres in, I'm thinking, wow, this is magnificent. I know exactly why I'm here. So you're right, you do go through the, the waves of different emotions uh, in an event. But I think, um, and, and this is what I train people when I do my coaching is we not only have to prepare ourselves physically, but we have to prepare ourselves mentally and think about the phases that you're going to go through during an event and have a plan in advance for what you're going to do when those feelings um, hit you and you start to feel overwhelmed. What, what is your plan for how you're going to get through the next step? Because I have been on many events where I turn up at a checkpoint and a person who I saw earlier in the event who is physically looked very, very strong um, is completely broken down at the checkpoint and they're pulling out of the event. Um, and it's because they haven't quite worked out how to get through that mental component of, of, of the event. Yeah. And I, I'm glad to hear that you, you, you target that uh, on top of, you know, physical training in your coaching. Um, and I'm sure that that was something that was discussed a lot with your team of 18 women that did uh, the race in the Simpson desert for uh, normal people would drive, you know, talking about the mental aspect, because, you know, as you mentioned, 50% of it is mental getting through it, how you handle yourself, how you manage your emotions. It's almost like there's uh, like an endurance event IQ that comes with it. Um, and, it and it eventually distills down to managing, you know, your emotions, your critical inner voice, maybe some anxiety and whatnot. But going back to earlier in our conversation, you talked about how you're, you're kind of immune to sometimes what people think. Um, and to me, you have a lot of bravery. Like you just, I read somewhere where you're like, I'm just going to sign up for the event. I have no clue I'm going to train, but I will make a plan and I will go and do it. And it's, I don't have that same bravery. So where did that come from in you? Um, Actually, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think it's just something I tried and, and I found that it works for me. Um, and so I I've, I've basically have a, a methodology for how I do, do all my events. And that is I, first of all, I find the crazy big goal that I'm really passionate about. And, you know, the internet's usually the, the breeding ground for all kinds of crazy ideas. So I pick the thing that I'm that I'm keen on doing um, and I make sure that it's realistic. You know, I mean, it's it's not realistic to 
become an, an Olympic ice skater or something, a speed skater. You know, I, I need to pick something that's, that, that is actually achievable for, for normal human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, but having picked that big goal, um, I then go out and test myself and see what my starting point is. Um, so, for example, with my kayaking event, uh, it's 90 miles. I went out and did my first uh, kayak. And, you know, I've done a bit of kayaking as a child, but that was a really long time ago. Um, and I could do a whole a mile. A mile was my starting point for, okay. for my starting kayaking point, event. Though, right? Yep. Then I get out the good old calendar and I work out how many weeks I've got between now and then and come up with a plan of how I'm going to physically train for the event. Um then I book in some lessons because you should always get some quality instruction uh, for whatever it is, swimming, kayaking, running, whatever it is to do that. Um, and then the final step for me is enrolling friends and family to support me to do mm. the event. Um, and I think that's a really important part of preparing for any sort of adventure. Um, and that might be someone who's going to be your training partner. And I'm lucky enough that I have a couple of friends here who do know what they're doing with kayaking and they're happy to come out with me a couple of times a week to, to practice. Um, but it's also having those other kind of supports like, you know, the the other parent who might help pick up the kids, including your kids, so that you've got a little bit more time to train right. or the friend who's going to be your accountability partner who's going to text you at night saying, did you do your training today? Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that's going to uh, to give you the pep talk when you're going, I'm crazy and I, I don't know I don't know why I thought I could do this and you're feeling a bit down and it's going to say, well, you know what? Look back at what you've done and the fact that you can do those things means you'll be able to do this one. So I think that that final part of enrolling the friends and family to support you is, is really important in achieving a goal. Yeah, well, it sounds like uh, this is a very structured approach you use in your coach. I think we need to trademark is the Kath Wallace uh, framework for uh, getting after these very long ultra distance events. Um, that's really cool that you do that. So, when you're, what about for for um, you, we talked about community earlier, and it seems like you have a little bit of a stronger, and I could be wrong, a little bit of stronger affinity for multi day races. Um, and is that, is that true? And is that because there's a little bit more of a community oriented thing? Like maybe you're going to stay intense with people that are strangers at first, but will probably become your best friends by the end of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is where my, my love of the multi-day comes is one of the things that I really like about these kind of events is it attracts a certain kind of people. Um, they're people, they come from all different kinds of backgrounds, but they all share, you know, a sense of uh, adventure um, that I really appreciate and, and enjoy. And so most of the events that I went on, particularly in the early days, I would turn up by myself. So I knew nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the course of the week, uh, they actually become very close friends. I think, uh, and, I, and I think there's, there's been lots of psychological studies about this. I think when you've had a bit of shared hardship uh, and a shared hardship experience, you bond closely or much, much faster than you would just meeting people in normal day-to-day life. And I've certainly found that I've now developed this network of friends from doing these events um, that come from all countries in the world. Uh, And in fact, these days, um, a lot of the events that I choose come from those group of people who then say, oh, look, I've found this. Would anyone like to come? Uh, And so you do catch up with with people that you've met at a previous event Uh, and so I now feel like I've got this network of adventure friends around the world that's really sort of expanded my my social group and and keeps me motivated uh, for the next adventure. 
Oh, that's just wonderful. It sounds like such a wonderful community. And do you think that, you know, the shared hardship uh, maybe exposes a little bit more vulnerability? You're, you know, you're, you're beaten down during the race. Uh, it's multi-days. You're doing like a marathon a day. Um, do you think maybe the vulnerability gets heightened in which people just become more relatable at that point? So I've never really thought of it that way, but I think that you are right um, because you you can only be your own authentic self in those kind of circumstances. Um, and, you know, you can't put on a show about, you know, what kind of person you, you'd like to show the world that, that you are. You, you're just sort of brought back to your sort of raw human emotions. Uh, and that's where people, I think, connect on that deeper level without the sort of masks that we put on in society day to day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, going back to your, your kayaking adventure that you have coming up, um, I haven't done any sea kayaking. And to me, I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's a lot of safety associated with that. Like, what about, like, if your, your, kayak, or your kayak flips over? Like, I wouldn't know what to do. Um, and you talked about, you know, training a little bit with a specialist so you know how to, you know, also be, you know, in control of your kayak, overcome those safety uh, situations if they do arise. Um how, you know, you're, you're, you're going after these big events. Some of them seem a little bit more dangerous than the others. Um, how do you make sure that you're going to be safe for all aspects of something like that? So I think there's, there's a couple of different things. One is that I'm quite uh, picky when I choose the events that I'm going to do in terms of researching the company that's running the event um, and their safety protocols and having a look at what they've got in place uh, for the actual event itself. Um, so if I take, for example, when I went to Northern Mongolia and did the 100 miles across the frozen lake, you know, I was very careful to check that there was actually a safety evacuation plan um, and that the company I went with, you know, they, they had uh, they had contacts in, in the capital that were able to, to send an emergency helicopter out if someone did actually have a serious accident and need to be airlifted out. So I think um, part of it is doing your research properly on the event that you're going to. The other part is being personally prepared. So for, for sea kayaking, um, it's very important to me that I am, am confident with all of the safety aspects. Um, so for me, that involves taking lessons and I don't live on the coast. Um, so I have organised a couple of um, a couple of different weekends to go down with uh, someone who is uh, qualified in sea kayaking um, to do the practices with capsized drills um, uh, and those kind of things uh, to make sure that all of the safety things are covered off. Because um, even though um, I'm happy to go into an adventure knowing that there's a possibility that I might not complete it. You know, that's always a risk that you might not finish it. I'm not interested in creating a safety situation for anybody. Um, so it's not a case of having no preparation and going into one of these events. I, I want to be really clear that I, I do prepare um, really hard to, to go and, and do one of these events. Um, so, for example, even uh, just last week, I was supposed to be heading um, to New Zealand to do a multi-day event. Um, I've had an issue with my ankle because I tore a tendon in it uh, during an mm. ultramarathon in October um, and the doctor said it's just not quite right. So I've, I've made the call to pull out of that event in New Zealand because it's really remote and if my ankle does sustain further injury, they'll have to airlift me out and it will involve, you know, hundreds of emergency service workers to have to come and rescue me from that event and I'm not interested in putting people in that kind of position. So I think um, it, it, there's doing the research, there's making sure you're personally prepared and have had the right lessons and there's being sensible about it and not only in terms of your own health and well-being, but in terms of being 
um, fair and considerate of the event organisers who are putting something together. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's definitely sounds wonderful. I hope your ankle's doing okay and it's it's getting better. Um, so for, and I'm sure you've heard this question before, but let's say, you know, for listeners out there, someone is like, gosh, I don't perceive myself as an athlete. I don't perceive myself being able to do this stuff, but I'm interested. I kind of want to do it. What kind of advice would you give to a person that is kind of on the cusp like that, but, you know, is kind of perceiving that they're not, they don't belong to do something like that? Um. I, I honestly think just go out and do it. I mean, find the thing that you want. Find something that's a big goal, that's a big stretch goal for you. Um, but as I say, you know, not making the Olympic team. Um, something that's realistic but just be, a bit beyond the boundary of what you think you can do. Um, and then plan and prepare to go and do that, following those, those steps of the process that I suggested. Because the reality is we only get one life and... Uh, as we get older, we, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what future health issues we might have. We don't know what, what the circumstances might be in the future. So I think it's important to to embrace the time that you have now um, and to go out and do things rather than, you know, wait for some time in the future that's the perfect time, whether that's the perfect time financially, the perfect time uh, for the kids. There's no perfect time. There's right. no. There's never I... going to be a perfect time. Um and, and so it, I, I think it's important to, to have those experiences and to have those big goals. And really, I suppose the question that I would ask people is, what is it that you're afraid of? You know, what is it that's actually stopping you from going and doing the thing that you want to do? Um, because normally it's, it's actually about that fear and anxiety. Um, and do we really want to let fear and anxiety stop us from being the person we want to be and having the adventures that we want to have? Yeah, and those adventures are so enriching. I remember back in 2009, I was setting out to do the Pacific Crest Trail. I don't know if you've heard of that before. Um, mm -hmm. But when I was deciding to do it, um, I was so intimidated. It's, you know, it's going from California up to, or from Mexico to Canada, it's 2,650 miles. And I was just, it's like, that looks scary. Who knows what's out there? Bears, mountain lions. Um, and I, I actually approached, I don't know who it was, a friend or a mentor or something said, you know, um, I really want to do this, but it looks outrageous. And it's, you know, me backpacking for a number of months. I don't know if I could do this. And this person's response, it, it, it resonated with me. It may not resonate with everyone else, but this person's response was, Hey, Brian, look, when you drive down the street, you're probably taking a bigger risk than when you're hiking on the Pacific Crest Hill. So go and do it. Um, and that resonated with me. And that just kind of uh, made me go for it. And now like I have, you know, a similar outlook where it's, 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 uh, it's cliche, but it's true. It's the YOLO outlook. You only live once. Um, and mm -hmm. these things, um, are really, really enriching. And it's something that I got to imagine is ultra endurance events. You know, you finish and it's just like, man, the self pride is through the roof. Mm -hmm. So with, uh, when you were doing, when, when did you, when did you do the normal people would drive documentary associated with the Simpson desert ultra? What year was that? So we filmed that in 2021. Uh, so the okay. event is held in, in June each year. And that was the first year that I took uh, teams out to, to the desert. Um, the, the concept was that I had had this personal journey of uh, experiencing so much enrichment to my life by doing these adventure events. And I had so many people contacting me and saying, well, you know, how do you do it? And how, how do we start? And, and what do we do? And I thought, oh, well, 
maybe I'll take some people and and show them uh, and give them that experience. Um, and so I put out a, a call through my sort of social media saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to take a team uh, who'd like to join um, and recruited this team of 18 women uh, who went out uh, to, to do that. And the, the criteria that I had to be in the team was that you had to be terrified. It had to be something that was a stretch <laughs> goal for you um, and something that you, you'd never sort of seen yourself doing but were really committed to doing the work to, to go out and achieve. Um, and, and I met this fantastic group of women and, uh, and worked with them for about six months uh, virtually. We did all our stuff uh, virtually and then we went out in the desert uh, and, and did the event. Um, and it turned out differently for, for everyone. Some people picked stretch goals that were a bit too much of a stretch. Um, so there were people who finished and people who didn't finish. Um, but every single person, uh, you know, it didn't matter whether they finished or finished. They had right, a right. wonderful experience in the desert. Yeah. They made 17 new friends. That's right. Uh, they saw that sunrise. They challenged their perception of who they were. Um, and I'm really excited that two years later, so many of those people have gone on to do other things. Some of them have now done their first triathlon. Some of them went back the following year and did a further a further distance or because they didn't finish in 2021, they went back in 2022. Um, and, and it really has just been really enriching for me personally to see the way that they had that experience. Um, and so I took another team back in, uh, in 2022 uh, and I'm currently got another team that I'm training for 2023. Um, so it's, uh, I love that event. I love the Australian desert. Um, my, my very good friend uh, is the race director uh, out there for, for that event. Uh, we met on, we met actually on a multi-day event uh, back in 2017. Nice. Uh, and then she came up with this concept of running a, uh, an ultra marathon in her hometown, which is located what we would call in Australia the middle of nowhere. Um, it's about 1,200 miles uh, inland. Wow. Uh, and there is nothing there. It's a two-day drive and basically you're only going through towns of 500 people uh, on the way. Uh, so it really is very remote. Uh, and so it's an adventure as much as it is a race. Um and it has that combination that I love of the natural environment, the community spirit, uh, the sense of challenge. Um, and I was just really, really lucky that the, the state government, that's the state of Queensland, provided us with some funding to make this mini documentary so that we could we could show it to the world. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it went through a number of uh, film festivals, right? Yes, it has. It's been shown in uh, film festivals in the UK, France, um, Brazil. Uh, the US, um, even Albania. Um, so, cool. so it's been in a bunch of film festivals around the world, and now it's it's available to stream on a, on a number of platforms. Um, so, so it's very nice. It's a little it's a little documentary. It's twenty two minutes, um, but it just just gives that sense of um, of what a group of people can do when they stretch their boundaries and and see what they can see what they can achieve. Yeah, it's 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 like you took the the community aspect to another to a, a, another height by you know helping other people out and the gratification of helping people out. It's so wonderful. So it's you know you got the wonderful community crowd. You're helping people out. Um, that's just wonderful. And do you plan on doing that for any other um, events besides the Simpson uh, Desert Ultra? 
Yes, so I'm actually taking, um, I'm taking a group of 20 to do the same event that I did in Mongolia. We're doing the 100 Whoa. miles across the frozen lake. That's in February of 24. Um, okay. So people have committed to that team now. We haven't started training yet, but, um, you know, to allow people to, to budget and, and get ready for that trip. So I'm very excited to take them, to take them there to see that really uh, remote and beautiful, beautiful part of the world um, and, and to get back out on that ice because it's just stunning. Yeah, I never knew something like that existed at all. Uh, it just it, it sounds stunning is the right word. It sounds stunning. And then as you mentioned way back earlier in our conversation, you know, that's another race where there's there's a bunch of the safety aspects that, you know, you, you've already checked that the race handle manages safely. But then there's also the individual aspect of safety, too, for something like that. And so crossing this this hundred mile lake, what 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 are the temperatures like? So it's uh, it's held in uh, the, the end of February, the start of March. So it's the end of winter, so that the ice is nice and frozen. It's uh, yep. it, it's about six feet deep. The, the <laughs> ice being frozen, so it's wow. it's nice and solid. Yeah, um, it, it still gets down to. Oh, and I, I work in Celsius, unfortunately, minus thirty degrees Celsius. But I think that's actually minus thirty Fahrenheit as well. Um, okay. I think. Uh, so it's my at night. Um, wow. And in the day, it's probably uh, probably about 25 Fahrenheit, I think, during the day. So it okay. actually gets reasonably, what I would call reasonably warm for that kind of mm -hmm. kind of environment. Um, but it's uh, certainly when I went, it was beautifully sunny, blue skies. Uh, and you've got nice. the boreal forest on one side of the lake and these beautiful snow-capped mountains on the other side. And then it's that gorgeous black ice with the the seams of white running through it. Um, and you can just see, uh, it's funny, the checkpoints on that event are vehicles that are parked on the road and they have, you know, um, a, you know, a thermos of hot coffee for you to warm yourself up uh, as you go past. And the lake is obviously flat because it's a lake, um, but the, the visibility is so good that you can pretty much see the next checkpoint from the previous checkpoint, even though it's seven miles away across the lake. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you got, you got 20 people already signed up. You're, you're a year out now. So when does the training begin, the group virtual sessions, talking about all the mental things that, you know, need to be prepared for. When does that start? Uh, so for an event like this, it'll be six months out. Um, and uh, the way I run them is I run everybody a, a personalized training program. And then we have Zoom meetings every third week where we talk about everything from um, how to train, um, what gear to take, uh, what safety equipment, how to fuel and hydrate your body, uh, the mental aspects. We do a topic each time um, and it also allows the group to come together and get to know each other um, over the period of time before the event. Um, and as you said, I think one of the, the most important sessions that we do is that mental, that mental session. And a lot of the people in my group are females um, and we do spend a lot of time talking about uh, things like being alone in the dark, which for a lot of females is something that they've been taught to fear ever since they were little, um, is being outside by themselves in the dark. Um, and so that's one of the things that we really do focus on is um, working out how you're going to manage your anxiety around that and getting some practice in of going outside in the dark before you're suddenly in the middle of the event in the dark um, and, and feeling the, that level of anxiety around it. 
Yeah. Oh, gosh. Kath, you're doing really wonderful stuff. And so as we're wrapping up our conversation, I just wanted to hear what does the future hold for Kath? You've done a lot since 2015. And just since 2015, it's all it's evolved too. you know, you're helping all these people out, you got these big events, and you've got 20 people going out to Mongolia together. So what else is uh, in the future for you? So uh, I've got a couple of projects in mind. I, at the moment, I'm still uh, I'm still working full time uh, in in my day job, um, but I'm hoping to sort of transition to doing more coaching and, and more trips with people uh, uh, as opposed to, to my other job. But one of the things that I've got uh, in the future, which will probably happen next year, is uh, doing an expeditionary trip with um, one of the race directors that I've met on a couple of events. We're looking at um, taking a, a yacht and sailing out to Bikini Atoll, uh, where the nuclear testing was in the 1950s. Um, wow. and uh, taking a crew, uh, film crew uh, out there as well um, and doing some adventure stuff uh, around the island there but with the local Marshall Islands community from Bikini Atoll to bring some more visibility to, to what happened out there because a lot of people, you know, have, have forgotten in the passage of time um, what the people went through in being displaced mm -hmm. from nuclear testing um, and to really uh, experience that beautiful part of the world and sort of combine the concepts of adventure and community and social awareness in, in the one trip. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, Kath, you have been doing such amazing stuff, and I know you will continue to do it in the future. I just want to say thanks for tuning in and joining us from Australia and coming on to All Bodies Outside. I think you are a huge inspiration. I know you've gained a little bit of a social media following, um, and I think that you know you're just going to continue helping people out and breaking down these social barriers and showing that you know any body type can get out there and do these events, which is so cool to see. Thank you so much. I mean, I think. Uh, the message that I have for people is that you don't you don't have to excel at the thing that you're doing. You really just have to enjoy it. So pick the thing that you're passionate about uh, and make a plan and go out and do it now. Yeah, yeah. All right, Kath. Well, I'm going to throw on the outro music and we'll call it a session. <laughs> <laughs>